Today's passage comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, everyone. Today we are continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We, I think, are in number 13 or 14 in this series. We're calling it Flourish, because in this sermon, Jesus' most famous and well-known sermon, He gives us His vision. He gives us, you could say, His manifesto of what the truly flourishing life looks like. And this is the third message in our series where we'll be talking about prayer. The Lord's Prayer really is um, at the heart and at the center. If you look at the structure of the Sermon on the Mount, right there in the middle is the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus again returns to the topic of prayer in the passage that we just heard read to us. And what he says here, at least for me and I think for many of us, immediately brings up questions regarding prayer especially regarding these difficult questions about the interplay of our prayers and God's plans, God's purposes in this world. This week, as I was um, studying this passage, I was really challenged. It's been a very busy season. We're getting ready for a lot of things as a church um, as we look to the start of the fall season. And I know many of your lives are like that as well as school starts and many other things. So I was feeling pretty overwhelmed and anxious, especially early in the week, thinking, how is all this going to happen, and how is this all going to move forward? And I was praying, I was studying this passage and asking God, you told me to ask, so calm my heart. Give me perspective, help me focus on the things that are most important. And so I was, because of all this and because of praying through a lot of these things, I was a little behind on my sermon preparation for this, this sermon. And so I had Thursday blocked out pretty much the whole day. Thursday was blocked out to work on my sermon. And so there in the morning, I'm in my office just down the street here, and I'm kind of getting in the flow. I'm starting to feel like, okay, this is happening, and um, I'm getting the juices flowing. And then I see this, this gentleman uh, outside my window. He begins walking up uh, the stairs towards my office. He's got this little green card in his hand. I'm not sure what that's all about, but he starts coming to my door, and he looks up, there's a sign that says Trinity OC outside my office. And I have to say at that point, I was like, I was praying, Lord, please no. Looks like he wants to sell me something or have a long conversation. I'm not, I don't have time for that. And then he just walks away very slowly, said, thank you. And then about two minutes later, he came back. And he looks at the sign on the door and he doesn't knock, he just walks right in to my office, and he's, he comes in and he says, hello, can you, can you help me find where this is? And so the card that he had in his hand was um, a card for his appointment with his doctor. 
and I'm looking at it, and I say, this says 1200 North Tustin. This is 505 North Tustin. This is not the right place. He's like, no, this is it. This is, this is the place. My doctor's here. I said, no, it's not. And he's very confused. Uh, he's an elderly gentleman. Um, and he says, can you take me there? And I say, he's like, I'll drive you back. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm going to have to go there and like sit and wait for his appointment. I was like, I don't know about that. I was like, okay, how about you follow me there? Like, okay, let's do that. And so we go down to the parking lot and I realize, you know, he's, um, he's walking very slow. Very, very, very slow. We're walking down there and I'm saying, this, God, this is what you want me to be doing. And then when we get down to the parking lot, he can't find his car. He's, he's pretty lost. And so I'm like, what kind of car is it? He says, it's silver. I'm looking around. There's like 10 silver cars. I'm like, do you know what, what's the make of the car? He says, Lexus. So I'm looking all around and I'm running through the parking lot and I find it. Um, and then I drive him to his car and he gets out, gets in the car. And finally, we, we go to his office. I mean, not to his office, to his doctor's um, appointment, to his doctor's office, and he's there. So I get back to my, my office, probably about 45 minutes after he, he came and showed up, maybe an hour later, and then I'm just thinking, God, was that an answer to my prayer? That was not exactly what I had in mind when I was praying, help me focus, help me make the most use of my time. But I was wrestling, wondering, maybe God was showing me what's most important to help a neighbor in need, to humble myself and to slow myself down. Now, isn't a lot of our praying like that? We pray one thing, Jesus tells us to ask, we ask for something and out comes something completely different. And we wonder, is God answering my prayer? Is He listening to me? How does all this even work? Prayer is like that. And whether we've been Christians for a long time and we've been working and wrestling through prayer or we're still very new to Christianity and you're still not sure about Jesus, we all have, I think, some big unanswered questions about prayer. How does it work? Maybe we have guilt about our prayer lives. And here at Jesus, in his most famous sermon, and his most famous teaching, instead of diving in and answering all our questions about prayer, in some ways he brings up more questions. And what he says here, from my reading of Jesus' teaching on prayer, is really his most common and repeated message when it comes to prayer, summed up in one word, ask, ask. And what Jesus says about asking, I think, shows us three things that we need to change in order for us to develop a lifestyle of prayer. Those three things are how we view ourselves, how we view our prayers, and how we view God. So let's look at each of those. If you're following along and taking notes, you'll see those points in your outline as well as on the screens. The first thing that Jesus shows us needs to change is how we view ourselves, verse 7 the beginning of this text says, ask and seek and knock. These are all present tense verbs. So this mean, means Jesus is, is not saying, ask on occasion, ask from time to time, ask once and be done with it. He's saying this is a repeated and an ongoing, a present tense action for all those who are my followers. One translation says, uh, translates this passage, keep asking, 
Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Jesus is painting a picture of prayer that it's a lifestyle, that it's a praying life, that our whole lives are saturated and filled with asking and seeking and knocking. And so this means that we will never outgrow our need to ask. We will never outgrow our need to be seeking and knocking as people. There's something about that that is freeing, I think, to us, but there's also something about this that I don't think we like at all. First of all, we don't like to ask. Do we really like to ask for help? That's really our last resort. We want to figure it out on our own. If we're seeking something, we don't want to have to wait very long until we find it. We tend to be impatient. I'm impatient. And no one enjoys knocking on a door repeatedly. If no one's showing up to answer the door, that's like the worst job. Nobody wants to be a door-to-door salesman where people are hiding inside their house because you're out there knocking. So asking and seeking and knocking, although it sounds inviting, it's also something that we're not sure that we enjoy because it all, all three of those things describe being in a place of dependence, being in a place of need, not being in control. And we view ourselves most of the time as people who are or should be independent, capable, and in control. What we say about ourselves tends to reveal how we view ourselves. And I want to call this view, you see it up there on the screen, view number one. How often do you find yourself saying these things to yourself? I should be able to handle this. What's wrong with me? This shouldn't be so hard. Why is it so hard? I can figure this out by myself. Or maybe you say the everyday stuff, that stuff under my control, the extraordinary stuff, that's where prayer comes into the picture. When view number one is our view of ourselves, we push prayer then out into the margins of our lives. And we are living out of a self-understanding that prayer is a sign of weakness. Prayer is a sign of immaturity. And Jesus says all this needs to change if we're going to develop this lifestyle of prayer that he describes. According to the Bible, the most complete and fully alive human being that ever lived utterly depended upon a lifestyle of prayer. Every day, for wisdom, for strength, for guidance. I'm talking about Jesus, of course. And like Jesus in his humanity, we are finite, we are dependent. That's how we're made. That's what it means to be a human being. That's an accurate view of humanity. Unlike Jesus, we are also fallen. We're finite and fallen. So becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming more fully human, learning how to flourish means embracing this view of myself. I am finite, dependent, and I am fallen and broken and sinful. Therefore, I will always need in everything to ask, to seek, and to knock. This means that our ongoing questions and needs and struggles are not evidence that we are failing or falling short of a flourishing life. They're simply evidence of our true humanity. And there are best opportunities to grow and lean into the flourishing life as Jesus describes. Not asking, not seeking, and not knocking are signs of a stagnant or an empty 
spiritual life. So view number two, what might be the accurate things that we can say to ourselves, that we should, that would lead us to prayer. We can say, to ask for help is to be human. I will always have questions and needs and struggles in my life. I will never have all the answers I'll always be seeking. I will always need outside wisdom to determine what's best for me. When these things shape our view of ourselves, then we're moving towards a lifestyle of prayer. That's the first thing that needs to change, how we view ourselves. Secondly, how we view prayer. How we view prayer itself. At first, Jesus' words, they almost make prayer harder. It's too good to be true. Ask and you shall receive. Doesn't, it doesn't fit with some of our biggest unanswered prayers and some of our experience with prayer, some of the disappointments many of us might have with God. We wonder if I don't pray, really does it make any difference? Is anything about this cosmic plan that God has or His personal plan for me going to change? Jesus knew He was getting to the core of how we view prayer itself. Because our view of prayer, if, if our view of prayer is that it's dispensable or that it's optional or ineffective, then we won't develop this lifestyle of prayer that He is describing. And what Jesus does, He doesn't remove all the mysteries. He doesn't go into the mechanics of prayer and say, let me explain to you how prayer fits with God's sovereign plans for this world. Instead, He simply says, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks the door shall be opened to you. In other words, he's saying, God answers. He responds to all of our prayers. And that it's not primarily a theological or a philosophical problem that we need to dis dissect or discuss or solve. But it's something that we only learn is true by praying. I think there's... Three things we learn by praying that change our view of prayer. As we are praying, we learn what to ask for first. We look at this passage and we go, surely this doesn't mean Jesus is not teaching. God is a cosmic vending machine. I just pray and out comes all the delightful candy and wonderful things I want in this life. And so we would, we would recoil. We would say, this is not what Jesus is talking about. If I were to say, you pray like this, God. Give me a mansion overlooking Laguna Beach and a Porsche in the garage and may the Gators and the Cubs win the championship this year. Dodgers fans would say, no, that's not my prayer. So we'd have another uh, conundrum of prayer right there. But we all go, no, that's not what Jesus is talking about. This isn't a blank check that Jesus is offering. But what is he saying? How do we pray then? Westminster Catechism, question 98, something written way back in the day, I think, is helpful for us here. It asks the question simply, what is prayer? And try to summarize what the Bible says. The answer is prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Now, at first, you might read that and go, that's actually more paralyzing to me than what Jesus says because now I've got to check the box. Okay, is this according to His will? Is this in His name? 
Am I being thankful? Am I confessing my sins? And we figure, how am I ever going to pray if I'm all caught up in that? The key word in this answer for prayer in the catechism is offering. Offering our desires to God. It's not demanding or expecting or flippantly wishing. It's an offering. It is bringing all of our desires, whatever they might be, and offering them to God in prayer. And it's not before we pray that we learn whether we're confessing or we're thankful or if this is according to God's will. It's in the act of praying that our prayers begin to move through each of these filters. And on the other side of praying like this, we often can revise and change. Oh, I'm praying for the wrong thing. This is what I need to be praying for. Or we discover what we're really seeking. Or we discover maybe I'm knocking on the wrong door in the first place. And so it's in praying that we learn what to ask for. Secondly, related, we learn how to ask. In praying like Jesus calls us to, we don't just ask. We make an argument. We make a case for why God should answer that prayer. Why is it aligned with His character, His will, and His purposes for us and the world? In prayer, when we ask, we should almost always follow up that, that request with something like this. God, I am asking you for this because. I'm asking you for this because the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible is full of prayers like this. The psalmist says, God, act now because you are holy, because this doesn't fit with your justice, because the poor are being trampled. He gives God reasons. He appeals to his compassion, his covenant promises, and his love, and he prays with arguments. Praying in this way helps us sort out our own motives. We often, again, we change our prayers. We revise our prayers. Sometimes we strengthen our prayers. And often when we're praying like this and we've gone through a process of saying, God, this is why what I'm asking is for the furtherance of your kingdom and for your glory, it helps us to actually leave that request with God and give it to Him. Because often a lot of our praying is, is short and it's quick and we say, God, please help me, this. please do me this. And we don't feel a sense of peace and release that we're really casting that on God. When we pray according to those things, Often there's a sense of peace that accompanies that. We learn what to ask for. We learn how to ask. And thirdly, we learn how God answers us. Every one of us probably has some examples. We could think of some examples uh, to this scenario. If God answered every single one of my wishes and prayers that I have prayed over the course of my life, that probably wouldn't have always turned out for the good in my life. And in some cases, we could say, if God answered that prayer, that would have been a disaster. So I'm thankful He didn't. As we read this, the natural question comes up. Jesus says, if, if, a, if a son asks for bread, the father's not going to give him a stone. But what if we ask for a stone? What if we ask for a scorpion? Is God going to just give it to us anyways? At dinner of Last week, I think, with my family, we were having a conversation. I think it was regarding the food that we are providing on the table and the fact that it is not an optional menu item, but it is the item on the menu. 
And so I was telling, to my, telling my kids this. I said, what, what if we had two tables every day presented to you, and you could choose from one of two tables to eat your meals? One table had everything that you would ever want to eat. It was filled with candy and cake, ice cream, all sorts of goodies, pizza maybe, that's over here. And then we had another table full of healthy things that are good for you, that will give you a long and healthy life. Which one would you choose to eat most often if we just left it up to you? And of course, they were giving me their answers. We'd get a little bit of table one and table two. I'm like, yeah, right. You would always get the unhealthy table. If God said to us, whatever you want, it's yours. That wouldn't be for our health. That wouldn't be for our flourishing. That wouldn't be in our best interest. We don't always know what's best for us. Often the things we ask for are things that might move us further away from God, further away from the life of flourishing described in the Sermon on the Mount. There's an old Puritan prayer that I want to share with, share with you, and it goes like this. This, this uh, old Puritan prayed, God, I thank you that many of my prayers have been refused. I have asked amiss, and I do not have. I have prayed from lusts and have been rejected. I have longed for Egypt and have been given a wilderness. Go on with your patient work, answering no to my wrongful prayers and fitting me to accept it. It's in the act of praying where we learn how God answers all of our prayers for our ultimate and true good. We learn that when God says yes, that we can have great assurance, that we can have great peace, that we are pursuing what is truly good for us. It's like we have God's endorsement on our lives, and there's nothing more profound and peaceful and assuring than that. When God might be saying no to us, we learn through praying that He's actually saying yes to our good, even when it's really hard, and it can be. And sometimes God might be saying to us, not yet. We know it's for our good that we wait. So we learn how to ask. We learn what to ask for. We learn how God answers our prayers. Summing all that up in praying, where, where do we start then? If we're starting or restarting prayer in our lives, I think Jesus says, just start anywhere. Just start asking. And if we need help, we place this passage right back into his context. In the Sermon on the Mount, I think Jesus would say to us, pray the Sermon on the Mount into your life. And as I was thinking about that this week, I said, what, it would, look, what would it look like to have a prayer list shaped by the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes? And so I put that together, and I just wanted to share this with you. This is a great place to start in prayer. Father in heaven, keep me from a self-sufficient, independent spirit. Help me embrace my spiritual poverty. Teach me to mourn over the brokenness in my life and the world. Show me where I need to lay aside my rights to serve others and help them flourish. Direct the hunger and thirst of my soul toward what is good and true and beautiful. Teach me to be merciful to others who struggle and sin even when they wrong me. Grant me purity and singleness of heart so I might know and love you more. Show me where and how I can bring peace into conflict. 
Give me courage to do and say what is right, even when it will cost me. I think Jesus says God delights in saying yes to those prayers. Jesus says we need to change how we view ourselves. We need to change how we view prayer. And lastly, and finally, we need to change also how we view God. It's probably the most fundamental thing that needs to be addressed if we were to develop a lifestyle of prayer. It's how we view God. Jesus compares God to a good father. He says, how much more than the best earthly father does God delight in giving us good things? That if we believe this, then a lifestyle of prayer would be a no-brainer. If this was the functional theology of our souls. It needs to be said that Jesus makes this comparison to an earthly father. And some of us have had good fathers. Some of us have had a very difficult relationship with our earthly fathers. And there's a lot in between. And that can deeply affect our view of God, our earthly fathers, a whole set of other factors and experiences in our lives can shape our true view of God, who we view God as being, even more than what we profess to be true of God, even more than the doctrinal statements that we might sign. Jesus says all this is restructured, is healed and restored in praying. It's our prayer life is where, is where we learn how we really view God. It's in our lifestyle of prayer that our true view of God, our true theology is revealed, and it's in our lifestyle of prayer that our view of God is repaired, is restored to a true and right view of who God is. Jesus says here, ask, and what you will learn is good theology. In prayer, your true, your practical, your experiential theology will change in two major ways. Put them up here on the screen. He says, I, he guarantees this of our prayer lives, that you will learn God is more committed to our flourishing and joy than even we are, to our own. And God knows what will bring us true joy and flourishing better than we do. These are the guaranteed answers to the lifestyle of prayer that we will learn. This is true. This is true about God. Tim Keller says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything He knew. When you believe these two things are true about God, you will pray and you will be on the road to true human flourishing. Finally, what might be the most powerful incentive for us to develop and learn and persevere in seeking a lifestyle of prayer might be our view of how God deals with our worst prayers, our very worst and terrible prayers. The most selfish things we ask for and how we pray thinking we are entitled and we deserve it. James chapter 4, 2 and 3 is in all likelihood a commentary on Jesus' words here. In James 4, 2 through 3, says, he says this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? James is a straight shooter. That's how he writes. And he follows up Jesus' words and say, if you're struggling with this, let me tell you a reason why. It's because your prayers are like spiritual adultery. You're asking for things that would take your heart away from God, that would turn your love and affection away from Him to other things. And we don't deserve answers to those prayers. We deserve for our prayers to hit the brick wall that we are putting up between us and God, as James says. We have made enmity between ourselves and God. But God still tells us to ask. God takes that wall of enmity and He breaks it down and He says, this is not going to stand in the way of me telling you, keep asking. How is that possible? I think where it takes us is straight to the most glaringly unanswered prayer in the entire Bible. Though Jesus' lifestyle of prayer was one of always asking and receiving, he experienced this constant life of continual prayer to his heavenly Father, of submitting his will to the Father's will and experiencing life as God intended. But there was one major exception in Jesus' life, one prayer of his that was not answered. He asked with crying, even with such distress that he was dripping drops of blood as sweat. Though he always received, though he always deserved only good things from his heavenly Father to this prayer, the Father was silent and said no. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden, the prayer he prayed all the way through his experience on the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. Can this cup be taken from me? The Father said no. Jesus received the serpent and the scorpion, so we could always receive the bread and the fish. So in all, all of our struggles with prayer and all of our stumblings in prayer, we can know there's not a brick wall between us and God. The Father calls us, the Father asks us to ask and to receive good gifts. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these words, although they do call to our minds all kinds of questions, I pray that you would help us Put all those aside, take it at face value, and learn wherever we are with prayer. For some of us, maybe prayer is a delight, and this encourages us. For some of us, many of us, prayer is hard. Our minds wander. We don't know what's happening. We struggle to persevere. I pray for myself and for all of us that this would move us, that this would develop in us a deeper, living, growing lifestyle of prayer, so that we would know that when we receive good gifts, that they are from the hand of our Father who loves us. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for all of our prayers to be heard, for interceding for us, for taking our prayers and making them right on point for what we truly need. We give you thanks for all of that. We pray in your name. Amen.